Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tiny Reminders podcast, where we learn big lessons from small voices. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Ward Lupinacci. Today, we're continuing our discussion about Black Lives Matter and racial justice with a very special guest. On this episode, you'll meet Ava, Ava D., a 15-year-old girl who, through telling her story here and sharing her experiences and insights, invites us into her process of coming to understand herself and her position in the world as a biracial young woman. Ava talks with us about navigating the space of being what she refers to often as mixed in a white family that doesn't quite share her experience of race, in schools with distinct but unspoken rules about being black or white, and within a larger community where racial injustice, police violence, and the fight for black lives has been amplified on a national stage in her lifetime where she lives in St. Louis. I want to share a couple of resources up top that relate to the conversations Ava and I have here, and some of you might find useful. Uh, Ava explains to us the racial divisions that are present in her experiences of school, and if you're looking to learn more about how and why this is an issue in American schools, I highly recommend the book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria?, written by Beverly Daniel Tatum. Uh, If you're a teacher or school leader and you're looking to commit more deeply to an anti-racist teaching and to make real radical change in your classrooms and schools, my absolute favorite book right now is written by Bettina Love called We Want to Do More Than Survive, Abolitionist Teaching and the Pursuit of Educational Freedom. You'll also hear Ava talk briefly about the book The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, And in conversations I've had with Ava outside of the podcast, she's made it really clear how important this book has been in her life. This is another one of my favorite books for opening up dialogue around race, power and privilege, identity. It's required reading for my students at EWU in their Foundations of Children's Studies course. I use it for book clubs and discussions with kids and parents and teachers as well. Angie Thomas is so talented and I hope you'll read everything she writes. I'll include these resources in our episode description and share on my Instagram at Mary Ward Lupinacci as well. So let's get started with Ava here. And as always, thanks to all of you who listen to the podcast and understand the importance of creating spaces for youth voice and insight and empowerment. Okay. Um, all right. So we are here um, for a really special, important interview today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Hi, my name is Ava, Ava D. I'm from the St. Louis area in Missouri. I'm 15 and I'm here to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement happening right now. Excellent. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're uh, really excited to talk to you. Um, I think a couple of things that before we start... Um, so you're um, in what grade? I'm going to be a sophomore, so 10th grade. Okay. So 10th grade. Um, I think this, you know, some of the school stuff will probably come up a lot as we talk. Uh, mm-hmm. But one of the things that uh, I think is really important about your story and your um, your discussions here today is is thinking about, you know, our identities and um, also, like, our, our place in the world. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, so do you, could you, before we go into, we have a whole list of things that we want to talk about today, a really, really good list. Um, 
Before we do that, can you talk to us a little bit about your identity and sort of where you like position yourself in the world? So I'm biracial. My mom is white and my biological dad is black. And I've grown up just with my mom. So I've been primarily like raised with like a quote unquote white family. Um, but now I'm starting to find my voice in um, the like African-American culture in the black community. And I've been um, starting to realize like how to like take action and find my voice about like, especially like what's going on right now. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that this will be something that, that comes up a lot. And I talk to kids about identity issues all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, it's such a, a, especially at your age, it's such an important uh, piece of, of your world, right? Like figuring Mm -hmm. out who you are and, and knowing that like, there isn't just like one way to have an identity. It's like changing. It's not fixed. It's, uh, it means so many different things. Um, so I think that's going to be a really interesting thing for us to talk about too. And I know you have some really, uh, interesting perspectives on that. So, um, we'll get into that a little bit too. Do you, are you ready to kind of start going through your list of things we want to talk about? Yeah. Okay. So, um, one of the things that you wanted to sort of explore today is um, this this idea of, of being biracial in high school, right? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What's it like? Um, tell us a little bit about your experiences. So at the high school that I go to, um, it's pretty divided, I would say. Um, so there's basically like a group for like the white kids and then the black kids all hang out with each other. So, like, with being biracial, it's, like, what group do you fit into? So, um, I personally have a group, like, a very diverse group of friends. But, like, I feel like because I'm mixed, I can still flow in and out of um, groups. Yeah. However, um, it, I, I've seen this thing on social media, and it's, like, if you're mixed, you feel like you're too white for the black kids but too black for the white kids I've heard that so many times and I do feel like that but I think that um just getting along with both groups in general and other groups as well yeah I think it's like a good skill to have and yeah. I don't think it should just be divided based on like your race or your ethnicity yeah do you can I ask you do you f- feel that like you're when you're at school like your like lived experience at school do you feel that there those like divisions exist and are real definitely yeah yeah does it get talked about or is it just sort of the way things are it's just kind of the way things were like set up especially for like middle school too yeah yeah so I'm always interested um in thinking about like what that looks like like what is the actual uh like practice of that sort of like division day to day so is it in does it happen in your classrooms does it happen at like lunch social times like what is it actually like what would we see when we went into your school um you would see all the black kids hanging out in the corner and all the white kids hanging out in like a separate corner um i 
personally just go to my friend's table, which is like in the middle. But like it's definitely divided. Like you can see like a different. Okay. And um in classes, I would say um since there are more white students and black students, usually the black students um sit with each other. Like me and my friend in our Spanish class, um, my black friend, we just sit together. But I think that's because we're just so close. Maybe it's not like a race thing because I'm still friendly with every like like everyone in my classes. Right. I just think that it's like there's an obvious line um, that you can see, like a physical like separation. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, I wonder. So then what about like in class? What is how does that play out? Um, usually. I don't really have that many um, classes with African-American students. Um, I have two classes, I would say, and it's pretty separated. I kind of sit near them. The white kids sit away from us, like for every single class that I have in. Wow. And I just think it's like, like you can, de- you can just definitely tell that, um, there's separation wow in our classes is there any so so the separation is like physical and you can see it um mm-hmm. but it's not talked about Mm-mm. it's no. not like it was ever decided on it's not like somebody said like let's do it this way right yeah it's just the students made it right it's just this like pattern of um you know processes that like that's just how things are that's the culture right and that's how Mm -hmm. that's how cultures are made right like you you get into habits and patterns and understandings that like go unspoken um Mm -hmm. that's so interesting would you say that there are times where like there's the division becomes more than just like that apparent division like are there is there like active like racism happening in in your school in your settings um I wouldn't say so but I have like heard of things that could be or not could be that are yeah like a little bit iffy um some of the white kids try to imitate yeah the black kids with like the the accent even though that doesn't there's not an right accent or like a way of speaking yeah it's just like automatically associated and they do that to try to be cool right which is not it's not cool so <laughs> right. i just don't really see the point right it doesn't really come across as cool yeah <laughs> uh it's funny um okay but you wouldn't say like day to day there's like these overtly racist things happening at your school no no can i ask about like teachers is that okay yeah okay um oh. go ahead yeah no no, no. go <laughs> ahead whatever you're gonna say okay um I only know of two black teachers. One is the um, computer um, helper, I guess, yeah, or engineer, and he just helps people with their Chromebook. And the other is one of my like study hall teachers. Okay. So I would say, like, there are not any other um, black teachers. That's interesting, cool. and you have. Yeah. Yeah, and you have a pretty, like, diverse population at your school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 
but nobody that's teaching you, let's say, English or social studies, um, no. none of those people are black. No. Okay. All right. Um, and I know, uh, you know, because we know each other and, um, you know, we've talked about things. I know that um, there have been issues in your school and you don't have to talk specifically about them, but mm-hmm. I think this is really common when um, you have that experience of like a, a predominantly white teaching faculty, um, maybe not making choices that are very inclusive or responsible, um, not to mention like, you know, those of us that do this work try really like try really hard to engage an anti-racist framework in our classrooms. But mm-hmm. like it it sounds like in your experience, there haven't even been attempts even close to that um how does that impact you at school what do you how does that feel I definitely feel like um it's like a horrible like separation Mm -hmm. because um since like again I've been brought up like in a primarily like white household um I just think that it's like bad for the um the representation mm-hmm. of black people thing because like it look it's it looks like um there can't be any black teachers because they're not smart enough right. or something yeah. and they can only be like um like overseers or like yeah um they can only like look over a few people yeah when right. in reality they can they have the um what's ability to teach as much as the white teachers can right right and then I think it also I mean I would imagine impacts what what you're learning like not just how you're learning it right but like the actual content of the curriculum is impacted Mm -hmm. by like if if everyone in charge of the curriculum uh, is white then Mm -hmm. it, it definitely like minimizes the opportunity for like diverse kinds of of learning content also. Yeah. Right. Um, and so this idea of representation that you're talking about, like it's such an important part of how we learn. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then what we learn. Um, yeah, I think such an interesting, and, and you're in such an interesting position because, you know, you, you have this, um, this ability to like, like you're kind of talking about like going between two different cultures and races and, and you're sort Mm -hmm. of like navigating that all the time. Mm -hmm. Do you think, does that put pressure on you? Do you think? Um, I think that it like puts pressure on like, um, mixed people Mm -hmm. because, um, this like idea of representation where like not represented enough I would say and I think like the whole school system since it's so divided it feels like you're pressured to like pick one side I guess yeah but then like the lack of representation for both sides basically yeah it's it's a lot of pressure to like maintain yourself of like identity and individuality yeah I bet do you this might be so so I'm gonna ask like some kind of more personal things and you can just Mm -hmm. be like Mary stop um or just be like no nope pass um and I won't be offended okay so I'm wondering though about okay so you 
are talking sort of about more recently in your life, having began to like find your voice in the black community. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, was there something that like led you to that or was that, what was that process like for you? Um, I would just say when I got older, I started to realize um, like what was happening in the world. Cause I sort of just focused on what was happening in, and there's not that much, um, like, we don't really talk about racism over here. Yeah. But as soon as I started to get, like, social media, like, Instagram and stuff, I started to see more about, um, like, protests and, like, people finding their voices and speaking out about things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, like, drove me to be more aware of what was happening, especially in school. Yeah. And then I started, like, to find out the truth of, like, what was happening. Yeah. So having like had that experience and sort of making that choice to like use your voice, find your voice, were there things that made that difficult? Um, I think it, I think it was difficult um, to accept like what was happening because mm-hmm. at first I was in disbelief. I was like, no, like, my school is super diverse and they like they're super liberal and they care about everyone but it was just hard for me to like accept the fact that black people were so like heavily underrepresented in like the history of black people yeah in general like we've never learned about it yeah right i was going to ask you that like there's never been a time where that's been part of your curriculum Mm-mm. only slavery But we learn that every single year, which there's so much more to it, too. They only teach us the basics. Yeah, I've been this is coming up a lot in conversations I'm having with kids right now that um, Mm -hmm. that they're saying like they they learn about slavery in school. Mm -hmm. um, But like it just sort of becomes like uh, like it's just this other this term. Right. So like they're they're often not even learning like what it like getting to talk about what it might feel like or what like the experience of that might be like. It's just this like, look, you know what it is. Here's the concept. It's slavery and move on. Like, yeah, it's like slavery and like, okay, uh, multiplication, you know, like it's, it's just like one other fact we're throwing out. Um, Mm -hmm. when it, you know, clearly like that, that's a concept that is so emotional and like physical and has so many like deep connections to trauma and all of those things. Do you, have, have you ever had any of those kinds, kinds of conversations about race or about slavery in your classes? Never. It's always just been like that. Yeah. Like this is what it was and this is how it like grew out. Right. But they never talked about like experiences of and like actual people. We've only talked about Harry Tubman. Yes. That's, that's it. Yeah. I, I can't help but think that if you were engaged in classrooms and learning spaces where like they're the whoever was like the grown up in the room, the the teacher, the educator, the facilitator, uh, had more like comfort or um, knowledge of uh, black experience that 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 might look a little different. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that there would be more emotional. And they would, they would not, um, 
sort of tone it down, right. I guess. Because right. they're, like, making it seem like it's not as bad as it actually was. And it was awful. Right. It was, like, horrible. Right. And there's so many ways to talk about that, like, how it impacts people still today. And like, mm-hmm. we know, like, the, the research about, like, intergenerational trauma and what that looks like. And, and there are so many really incredible resources that that educators could be using. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think they're afraid to do that, have that kind of talk? Yeah, I think they're scared that um, maybe they just don't want to face the truth. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, like, I just don't know why schools won't teach us about it because it's, like, incredibly important for everybody to know. Right. Yeah. I can't like, I don't know why. I know. Yeah. It's, and it's important for all of us. So to think Mm -hmm. about like, you know, all the the things that are happening right now um, and this just uprising and, and surge of black lives matter protesting and, and allyship that we're seeing now. um, Imagine if, if you had been like learning how to do this kind of stuff in school and how to talk Mm -hmm. about it, like, it would, I think, you know, be pushing this movement even further at this point. Mm-hmm. You brought up um, social media and mm-hmm. how that was something that sort of started to influence you in finding your voice. Mm-hmm. Are you, is that where you're getting a lot of, of your connection and inspiration for things? Yeah. And because of social media, I've been trying to research about um, Black Lives Matter like the histories behind it and stuff. And also um, a few days ago, I think there was a, or like a week ago, there was a Blackout Tuesday. I don't know if you saw. I did, yep. And I thought that that was, I thought it was like good that it was raising awareness, but there is also like more things that people could have done. So along with that, I put a link in my um, bio that was like a list to hundreds of petitions Oh, nice. And stuff. Yeah. So I've been signing petitions and like raising awareness on my story. Nice. Yeah. So you're really using it as mm-hmm. a platform. We keep going back to like your voice, right? So yeah, that is uh, such a powerful space for kids to be engaging in these kinds of conversations. Um, mm-hmm. Have you found anything negative happening through social media? Um, I've seen... Some other people, I don't know them. Yeah. Um, some people posting like um, all lives matter or like blue lives matter, yeah. like during Blackout Tuesday. Right. And I had this one experience like two weeks ago. This boy from my school split up on my story and he, he was a Trump supporter. He was white. And he, um, he was like talking about the riots and the looting mm-hmm. in the buildings which were burned down. Yeah. And I responded, I was like, so buildings that could be built again are more important than black lives lost. Oh, good. Yeah. He just left me unopened and I was like. Oh, that was it? He got nothing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give me something. Like, <laughs> You're like, come on. We're engaging <laughs> yeah. in a dialogue here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny. I mean, you know, he didn't have anything to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I wonder sometimes, um, you know, we talk about social media in so many different ways. Um, it's There's this, like, really empowering piece to it. Mm-hmm. And then 
that empowerment like works in both directions, right? Like empowerment to say things that you wouldn't maybe say. Is this is that a, a, a person that had ever talked to you before? Like, is that somebody you know well? A few times, yeah. maybe. Right. Yeah, so it opens up that that interesting space of like, I'm I'm emboldened or empowered to say things I wouldn't maybe say to you in class or in the mm-hmm. hallway at school. Uh, but then it also, you know, for those of us, I don't know exactly your personality in this way, but like for me, I'm a bit of an introvert. So if I, mm-hmm. if I need the time to like gather my thoughts, social media is really good for me to be able to be like, okay, instead of just like getting in an argument face to face, like I have some time to gather up what I want to say. And that's mm-hmm. really empowering for me. Um, do you have any experience with that? What, what's it like for you to like, how do you feel empowerment in your social media? Um, I feel like I can, like what you said, I could take my time, like gathering information yeah. and like making what I'm about to say, like perfect. But also um, in real life, I could, if somebody says something racist or rude or something like that, I could just tell them stop or like I can just tell them a fact that I know from the top of my head. Yeah. So I think it works like both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you're doing a lot of, of your own sort of like gathering of research and information. Mm-hmm. Does that feel like a priority for you right now? Yeah, I would say it's one of like the most influential things that's like happening. And it's so important to learn about what's happening right now. And I think that you can easily um, access information yeah. just through like your phone or your computer or your tablet yeah, or whatever. Do you, so, so, you know, we've talked about this before, but this podcast, our audience is um, all kinds of, of different people, but um, mm-hmm. part of like our audience will be like teachers, right. Who want to, to, to lo- use the information from kids and learn from kids and um, be able to know about your, your actual experience. And then we'll have parents, right. Who want to mm-hmm. use this as a way to like talk to their kids and um, have some dialogue and discussion points, things like that. Um, and mm-hmm. then a lot of other kids who are listening to, you know, hear voices of other kids and to um, identify with your experience, things like that. Um, and also to learn from each other. So I know we had talked a little bit about like sharing resources and things like that. So we'll do that a lot as you're talking. I wanted to know, um, are there ways that you, since we're talking about social media, are there ways that you um, like know what sources to trust when you're going, when you're um, online doing research, how do you go about that? So I usually look up like um, yesterday I was reading about Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. So I looked up um, on my phone and I just read through like many sources and I was like looking at the different points of views. Yeah. Because this one article, I forgot what it was called, but it was like, it kind of victimized him. Right. In a way. And yeah. I was like, so this, so you can tell this person has more like um, pessimistic view about it. Got it. So I just read like a bunch of sources and I see like what's similar and what's different mm-hmm. between them. And I think it's like pretty easy to, um, like once you get used to it, it's pretty easy to um, tell which are reliable right. or not, like which ones are right or like what, which match your own opinion. Right. Right. And it sounds like you're going through those in a pretty critical way. 
Mm-hmm. So you're not just yeah. taking the, the first article you find and being like, yep, that's it. Um, right. Yeah. Good. Do you have anything like, are there, are you learning that at all at school? Do you guys do any like critical media stuff? We used to do um, this thing in eighth grade that was like how to tell if a site is reliable or not. Mm-hmm. It was like the smell test or something. Um, I kind of forgot about it, but I could, I could um, learn how to do it again and like see, yeah, like double check to see. If- yeah. I don't know that one. That's funny. Um, mm-hmm. We should look it up and see, um, see what it is exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, but, but the way you're describing it, like that's a more, like realistic way to be like, okay, I'm going to read as much as I can and, mm-hmm. um, and to start to, to just sort of look at things with a critical eye. So if a tone sounds more like, like you said, like this, this sounds like this person is writing from a place of like victimization. Um, mm-hmm. you can pick up on those things, the more you read and engage with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. That's such a good model for, for people who are listening. And honestly, even like a lot of grownups who, um, could really benefit from like reading more and mm-hmm. like reading as much as possible. Right. Like let's, mm-hmm. let's keep that up. I think that's a really good lesson for today. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So one of the things, um, you also wanted to talk about, uh, do we talk about going between your, your two friend groups much? Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Sure. So, um, I have like this main group of diverse friends but when I'm not with them, um, I'm friendly with everyone and I have friends from all different groups. But um, I sometimes like have to change how I act around them, which I think is like an instinct, I guess. Yeah. Um, so like with my white friends, um, I usually like tone down my, because I'm really loud mm-hmm. a lot and I like to like yell and like, laugh really hard so when I'm like with my white friends who are more like quiet and mellow I guess yeah I usually try to like tone down my personality because they would probably judge me because I've had experience with that where they're like why are you laughing so hard or like why are you acting like that things like that and Uh then when I'm with my black friends I can just like be free Mm -hmm. because I feel more um close to them I guess yeah but I try to like um, just like be friendly with everyone, but I've been trying to, um, not tone down my personality or like turn up my personality, I guess. I just want to be myself. And if nobody wants to talk to me, if I'm like loud, too loud for them or whatever, then that shows that like, I should not be friends with them. And I should just focus on, um, I should be more aware and like focus on what they think of biracial, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I <laughs> I have so many things to say about that. Um, <laughs> really, I, but thank you for sharing that part of it. I just wonder like that feeling. I, I, I know that feeling so well when you're, you're with people who like, it, it just doesn't feel like they understand you or feel like you get to really be yourself. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Is that, is that something you are just starting to to realize or have you always sort of had that feeling as you're going between groups of friends I think I've always done that but recently I've become more aware of like when I'm doing it and like how I'm doing it mm-hmm. so I think that like takes a big part of like myself to realize like what's happening right 
it's one of those um, identity pieces too, where like, unless you're you're really aware, like you keep saying that word aware, which I love. Mm-hmm. If, if if unless you're really aware and understand who you are, then it's pretty easy. If you if you don't have that awareness, it's kind of easy to say like, okay, I don't, I'll just do be who they want me to be, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the more you you really build your identity and connect to it and anchor into it. I feel like the, the harder it gets to be uh, changing the way you act when you're around people. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it comes like that identity piece is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, so I'm trying to get like a picture of like, you're talking about like going between these two groups of friends. Is there ever a time when you're all, together um no I've I haven't even thought about that (laughs) I've just that's like never happened I just like keep them separate okay and they don't talk to each other that's so interesting yeah and and it never gets like spoken of never no okay it's fascinating yeah do you know that? Like, as you're like, do you ever stop and go like, this is really interesting what I'm doing right now? Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. So what about like social time? Is there, is there like outside of school? Is there one or the other kind of like group that you, you kind of gravitate toward? Um, I like to hang out with people individually. Yeah. But, um, my basically like go-to group is just my diverse group. Yeah. And then I have like my, my white friends, my black friends. Right. I love that you, um, what you, what you don't know is that Ava's doing air quotes when she (laughs) says diversity and white friends and black friends. Um, I do air quotes all the time too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's good. Um, that's so funny. So uh, this is something, okay. So since we're doing the air quotes, this is something that anytime, so I do a lot of like trainings in schools and with teachers and, um, and anytime I, I'm in a school, teachers, like, their first question is, like, what language do we use? So, like, do I say black? Do I say white? Do I say biracial? Like, what a, like what's okay for me to say and what's not? Do you mm-hmm. run into that at all? Um, I've been, like, switching, like, throughout this podcast, I've been switching African-American, black, white. Yeah. Just, I think it, like, depends on the situation that you're in mm-hmm. because sometimes it sounds like rude to just say black white like it's more like respectful to use african-american even right. though like i just don't feel like um i have the right to just say black like all the time okay interesting i think there's like a need to switch through um the terms that you use okay yeah and that just sort of depends on what you're like the context of what you're talking about and mm-hmm. yeah that's so interesting. Um, mm-hmm. In your experience, because you have this really interesting school experience, do you have um, teachers that you can tell are, are just like not using any kind of language? That's what I see a lot. It's like grownups just like avoiding it completely. Yes. Yeah. Um, they usually just say African-American. I, I haven't heard one white teacher say black. Right. Right, which is kind because, of offensive because, like, not yeah. all black people are African-American, just so we're yeah. clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So in being trying to be so correct about it, um, you know, we don't always get it right either. And I think that's a, an important point of what we're talking about. Like, no, this isn't always like nothing's going to be perfect about the way that we have these conversations um, mm-hmm. because they're complicated and it's complex. And identity especially is a really complicated issue. So there's no way to do it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I always think about it like a process, right? Like you're in this process of like learning how to talk about things that make might make you uncomfortable or uh, learning how people want to be identified and, and what you can do to respect that. I think like the process of it is a really important part. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I, I try to remind myself and, and other people too. Um, mm-hmm. Do you ever have that with friends? Like do your, do your white friends ever talk about identity? Mm-mm. No. Neither do my African-American or black friends. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't come up. Mm-mm. Okay. Um, do you guys talk about politics? Um, I think we all have the same view, so I don't think we have the need to. Okay. But one of my best friends, we always talk about it over FaceTime. Mm-hmm. And we have the same view on things. Okay. Are you finding, uh, like, uh, I keep, uh, I've heard so many kids lately say, like, you know, there are no young people that support Donald Trump, right? I'm not, uh, do you find that to be true? Mm-mm. No? Okay. I wonder if it's regional. A bunch, of, a bunch of kids at my school support Trump. Okay. Like vocally? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there um, a lot of kids who, like, openly don't? Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I wonder if some of that is like we keep talking about like location, right? So um, in like a, a Midwestern city, there um, there probably is a, a tendency for that to happen. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like an example is um, so a bunch of my, I would say like 70% of my school is liberal mm-hmm. and we like to um, talk about all that, not, not politics, but like we like to raise awareness about issues going on. Right. But then there's some kids who put in their like um, Instagram, like make America great again, or they're wearing like a Trump shirt okay. or they have like, they're following him. But here's the thing. Like some people follow him to like see what he's doing. Yes. And some people follow him because they support him. Right. But yeah, like you can, there are definitely some kids that support him. Yeah. So, okay. So here's my like real question about this. Do mm-hmm. you think uh, that at this point it's possible to still be like an open, like Trump supporter and just really like, and not, I'm just going to say it. Do you think it's possible to support Trump and not be racist? That's what I want to know. Um. So in elementary school, I never really, like, I was never aware of um, diversity because mm-hmm. I just, I was just, like, playing around. I was just, like, trying to, like, do art or whatever. In middle school, it started to become, um, like, in eighth grade, it started to become more, like, apparent what was happening. Um, and then in high school, there was, like, an obvious line 
um, of separation that was being shown. Okay. And I just think that um, maybe I became more aware of it after I got social media, which was in eighth grade, or maybe the teachers never told us about racism in middle school or elementary school. So I just wasn't aware. Yeah. Or maybe I just found it out by myself. Like it just, there's a bunch of um, ways that it could have been developed. Right. Yeah, there's no like one way to know, um, but such an interesting process. Do you find yourself, do you find you're reflecting on that a lot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also um, I've noticed my sister, she goes to um, preschool, I guess. Okay. You can call it. Um, <laughs> a place where little kids go. Yeah. Okay. Like a daycare or whatever. Okay. Um, I have not seen one black kid or african-american kid okay just i've seen um teachers though or um workers yeah there though yeah i just thought that it was like i just wish there was more diversity because especially like since i'm the only um non-white person or mixed person in the house yeah he's just gonna like get she's not gonna get enough information on black culture and diversity which is like essential for her to know especially yeah oh i have noticed this pattern maybe it's just my school but um the cafeteria workers yeah are all african-american ah okay that's not just your school i bet the staff Mm -hmm. at the um like and the custodians too Mm -hmm. i think that's like because i forgot about it which is so like mind-blowing like i forgot how like white people were put on a pedestal i guess so it like makes it seem like they're smarter or more educated yep but when african-american people don't get chance to like um prove themselves i guess yep yeah so they're just put i never even noticed that yeah, you're just like, I can see your face right now. You're like, wait, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, that's the kind of stuff, right? Like, these are the things that uh, that we have to, to really notice and pay attention to because all of that has meaning. And, mm-hmm. and it's influencing how we understand race all the time. Mm-hmm. So, like, that means something that you're in a school where – the teachers and probably the administrators, like your your principals and your vice principals, are they? They're all yeah. white. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a, a a big part of your um, support staff who are non-white. Yeah. Would you? What, are they mostly black? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that kind of dynamic, that's like a hierarchy, right? So like, you you start to like take that in. So you're saying the way you describe that is so beautiful you're like wait I I can't believe I never thought about this I'm just Mm -hmm. noticing this or I forgot about it like you've noticed it before but it's not like actively on your mind all the time right and that's that's how like that that hierarchy works is that like we just start to internalize that as like well this is just the way it is right and that's how we build I'm sure you know this like this idea of like ideology Mm -hmm. that's how we build that is by like seeing things over and over and over again 
like a hierarchy, like who's in power, who has the most power. And then we just come to accept it as what's normal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what's going to change the more that we talk about this, the more people we have noticing these kinds of like hierarchies and the, the process of how we start to know that stuff. Um, but the, but that what you've just described is, I think, really common and also really overlooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when I was, so um, for my, like the first part of my teaching career, I was teaching in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right out of like my undergrad. And so I hadn't really taught a lot before, uh, and I got a job teaching at a school for at-risk urban youth. Now I'm doing air quotes. Um, mm-hmm. And they, so it was it was kids who had been pushed out of Boston public schools, basically for behavior reasons. Um, mm-hmm. All of my students were black. Mm, yeah, all of them, except I mean, we, uh, they were all students of color, primarily black. Let's say that. Um, mm-hmm. And it took me a little bit to realize that this exact same thing that you're talking about, that um, I had been there a few months and I remember one day looking around and being like, wait a minute, all of the teachers here are white and all of the support staff are black. Okay, so this Mm -hmm. is modeling something to these kids about who gets to be a teacher who gets to get uh, a college degree, who gets to get a master's degree, right? Like we're mm-hmm. in this active process of like perpetuating these kinds of, of stereotypes. And it it's really weird when you have that moment of realizing like, oh, I'm in this right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I would say it's, it's pretty common. We move from this conversation of representation in schools pretty swiftly to representation in media and culture. This is an important discussion and one that impacts our kids on such a regular basis. We don't get the time in this episode to unpack these topics as much as we'd like, but Ava D will be back as a regular contributor to the podcast, and she'll be doing a lot more work here on diversity of representation in media, pop culture, uh, fashion and beauty industries. I also mentioned Teen Vogue here in our conversation, and I just want to emphasize the incredibly powerful cultural work being done there. Elaine Welteroth made a huge impact when she was editor-in-chief at the magazine, increasing content about justice, feminism, politics, and civic engagement for a youth audience. It's a great resource and one I highly recommend for kids and families. So along with representation, I think people of color are not represented at, like, not even nearly enough as white people are Mm -hmm. in the beauty industry and fashion industry. And it makes it seem like only white people can be, like, beautiful or only white people can model. And then that idea um, kind of, like, connects to, um, like, a thought put in, like, everyone's heads like oh you can't model you're too like dark or your hair is too poofy you have to look like white tall blonde hair like stuff like that yep and I just think that reflects into um like the overall like image and stuff like that so it makes it seem like 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 what like basically what I said 
Um, and especially it's so like harmful to little kids' minds. So it like, since their minds are so um, like, not flexible, but like, you know the word? Um, like, like they can be influenced. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then um, it just like creates like generation after generation of people believing this and then eventually like over, not overcoming it, but um, um, making it come true, I guess. Yeah. Which is just like a cycle and it keeps on repeating itself. Absolutely. Right. And yeah. So it's that like cycle of like, it's part of its socialization, right? So you're seeing this image everywhere that like, Mm -hmm. this is the standard. This is what beautiful is. Um, And then you internalize that just like we talked about with, um, with ideology, right? Where you start to learn things and you don't even realize that you're actively learning it because it's so pervasive. Like it's everywhere. You just, you see it in Mm -hmm. magazines, TV. um, And, and so then it becomes the way that you think. Yeah. And then you soon want to like change part of yourself. Cause that's what happened to me too. In, um, fifth grade or something. I wanted to like straighten my hair and I used to have like fuller lips and I like used to like tuck them in so they weren't like as plump. Yeah. And I wanted like lighter skin. So like I never went outside and stuff like that. It just like really like internalized me mm-hmm. and I had that way of thinking for like a few months but then I started to think like wait this isn't, this isn't right because like that's when I started to see more representation yeah I think it was by um Sephora maybe yeah or something okay um I started to see more like makeup shades mm-hmm. and like concealers foundations and I was like wait they're beautiful and then I started to grow up thinking like Black people can be beautiful too. People of color can be beautiful too. Right. And then now, like, everyone can be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, so So we're talking about, like, it's only, like, a few years, right? Like, so you're talking about, like, that was fifth grade that you were kind of having those moments of, like, you wanted to change the way you looked mm-hmm. to essentially yeah. be more white. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And then, because that was, like, the standard you were seeing and it was, like, pervasive and... And then now you're saying like you you've seen uh, like a, a difference in representation. Um, do you think that's true? Like, do you think that we in the last few years have seen more diverse representation? I think um, brands and like makeup brands and stuff like that. I think they're trying to be more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they could like use more diversity, but there's definitely like an increase, Yeah. but there's still not enough. Yeah. There could be more. Yeah. I agree. Do you think that what we're, we're going through right now with the, this uh, real like uprising of black lives matter stuff, do you think that that's going to impact that representation? Yeah, I do think so. Yeah. Because, um, I just think that since, um, People are trying to like get their voices back mm-hmm. and start to take action about it. Maybe brands will follow that. And yeah. um, I go to an ethical society, which is basically just like a humanist mm-hmm. um, organization. And we were having a conversation yesterday and we were talking about um, people finding their voices mm-hmm. and um, starting to like 
fight back and then we were talking about brands and then there was ben and jerry's they posted like a they posted like a huge thing about it yeah ben and, and jerry's thought, just went for it right yeah they yeah. did <laughs> <laughs> but i think that um more brands will start doing what they did and like speaking out about it yeah i think so too and i think that's how we we start to see some big change Mm-hmm. Because yeah. no matter what, like we representation really does matter. And and we say it all the time. But when you live in a culture that's so driven by you know, consumerism and what we buy and and how we dress and, um, you know, like in fashion and all of those things, it, it's inevitable that like that's a big part of how we make cultural change. Mm-hmm. Do you know, um, do you follow uh, Teen Vogue? Uh, no. Okay. Um, so that's been sort of, uh, I think, in the last few years, well, actually since the Trump election, that's been one place where uh, there's been a real push toward, like, these kinds of conversations and changing the representation. Um, and so that's sort of an interest. And it's and some really, like, heavy work is being done there at Teen, Teen Vogue, of all places. Like, who would have thought? Mm-hmm. But... Um, but they've done some really important stuff. And so I think we are going to see this more of like a mainstream movement toward that, um, especially mm-hmm. the more that like people get comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like it took you some time to get comfortable talking about things like this? Mm-hmm. Because um, I felt like I had no place to talk about it. Yeah. Because like I'm not, I'm definitely not the most oppressed. Right. Right. So I felt like I couldn't be like, I couldn't like, um, have a voice for everyone, mm-hmm. but, um, I think I can have a voice for the smaller community of biracial people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like such a, an, an important way to look at this, that like, it doesn't, you don't have to represent everybody. Right. But, mm-hmm. but we do need your voice and yeah. there are so many kids out there that, uh, are going to even just from from being here on this podcast to listen to you and identify with what you've what you're going through and your process for mm-hmm. things, and it's going to really make an impact. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad that you said that because I just think it's so important for us to to acknowledge and keep working toward in that way. Mm-hmm. Anything else about um, beauty industry um, appearance? Anything like that? Do you have a um, like a favorite makeup brand to recommend? Um, I do have, okay. I had this problem like basically during my life. So I um, said that I was raised in a primarily white household, mm-hmm. which affected my hair, which is one of like, this is like, my hair is basically what identifies me. Right. I think this is like one of my most important features, but I didn't know how to take care of it. Um, so I think that what this has to do with individuality and like society, I think there should be more um, people of color talking about hair care mm-hmm. and like accepting who you are, especially yeah, so that younger people can learn who they are, what their um, roots are, mm-hmm. what ethnicity they are, yeah. and then they can embrace it. I think that's really important. Yeah. And, and it's like the, the hair piece is so important, right? Mm-hmm. there is meaning and, and connection. And, um, d- 
do you, can you talk about a little bit like, uh, you know, you don't have, you can go as deep into this as you want, but, um, mm-hmm. sort of the moment when you connected that like your hair, like was part of your identity. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure when, I think it was more recently, mm-hmm. um, people started to, um, connect my ethnicity mm-hmm. to my hair. Yeah. And I was kind of confused. I was like, what do you mean? Like, my hair is just curly. Like, this doesn't really mean anything. Right. I don't get the point. And then I started researching about it, and it was like, they connect to your roots. And then, like, that's what ethnicity you are. That's what race you are. Yeah. I'm like, oh, so this represents, like, who I am. Yeah. And I think that that was also a moment where I was like, I should start to be more aware about this. Yeah. Because I think, like, hair is, like, yeah, it's hair, but, like, it's also, like, a symbol of who you are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What an important connection for you to make. And I, I don't, it, it, do you feel there's some like empowerment there? Definitely. Yeah. I feel like um, the more I learn about my hair, the more confident I'll be. Mm-hmm. And then I'll start speaking out about it. Like once I get really comfortable. Yeah. You're in that process right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to talk to you. I mean, I, I know that you know this about yourself because you're like very self-aware, um, but I can like really hear your process as you're talking that you're like mm-hmm. still really in it. And I think that's also really important for, uh, for other kids to hear that, mm-hmm. like you'll, for all of us, like you're continue to work through like who, who I am and what does it mean? And like, what's my position? What, um, what kind of privileges come with that? Right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. probably something that you, you talk about and think about a lot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think even just like having known you for a while, like knowing, uh, that like, that's part of your journey to like being confident and identifying like who you are and, and what you connect with. Um, I think that, that that's a, a really interesting sort of like, like physical, uh, measure of, of that kind of thing too, which people take for granted or maybe think is silly. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not, that's like the lived part of it for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Are you straightening your hair anymore? Mm-mm. Never? No. no, no more. Okay. How long did you used to do that? Like, were you like, how old were you when you were straightening your hair? Um, I tried, I didn't use a flat iron, but I tried to, um, pull it down, mm-hmm. I guess. So I wore like, I had this braids phase where I just wore two pigtails and like braids. Mm-hmm. Then they would come out as wavy and looked like, it looked like, um, my hair like wasn't curly. It was just wavy. Right. Um, and I think that that was like the time that I was like, I didn't really know like what ethnicity I was like I still didn't even really know that I was mixed right. until like third grade okay which is weird <laughs> yeah. but how would you know I mean you weren't talking about it and I would imagine I'm this is an assumption I'm making but it I would imagine that the the spaces that you were in not a lot of people were comfortable being like well Ava you're mixed or you're biracial right like yeah uh were you having those conversations at home at all? Um, not really, because I didn't really think about it. Right. 
Yeah. And nobody else was going to come to you and be like, hey, did you <laughs> did you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so it has been. That's a really interesting part of this. Like it has been up to you to make those kinds of discoveries. Right. And to mm-hmm. to do that kind of work, which is a lot. That's a lot to take on. Um, and you're only 15. So like yeah. you realize that. Right. Like you've taken on a lot in order to get through that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's cool. It's really like, I'm, I'm glad that you're in it. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that you're, you know, learning from it and you're sharing it with us. It's cool. Um, any other like hair, beauty, anything like that you want to talk about? I just think it's important for you to embrace who you actually are and you, I don't think you should change for society's like standards or whatever. Yeah. I think you should just feel comfortable being yourself. Yeah. And that's something you've really lived because, you know, you're describing to us like a fifth grader. It's like so cute and also like breaks my heart to hear like a fifth mm-hmm. grader talking like about like making your lips smaller and like actually like physically like holding things back so that you present to the world a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so to come, like to have this, the no, the self-awareness and the knowledge to come through that and be able to talk about it is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you like, are you feeling, I'm, I, I'm hearing you say that too, that like you're, you're feeling more confident and more like yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a really good lesson for probably all of us um, mm-hmm. in one way or another, but particularly for um, kids who are biracial, right. And who are like mm-hmm. feeling like they're going through these like couple of, of different kinds of identities and figuring out their place. Mm-hmm. For anybody listening to the podcast, we are recording in June. This is June, isn't it? Yeah. 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 We, we don't know where we're at. Okay. June <laughs> of 2020, which means that we are, um, several weeks into, uh, a global health crisis with COVID-19 pandemic. So we have been quarantined in our homes and, and everywhere we're at, we're sort of experiencing different levels of um, this like quarantine lockdown, um, huge, massive health crisis. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, there have been some really intense developments in terms of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement in the U.S. and and what that means. Um, and so we're going to talk about that now. Um, yeah. You ready? Yep. Okay. So one of the things you want to talk about was um, actually being a, a person of color in this era when we're seeing mm-hmm. uh, these kinds of of protests and reactions and, and like big movements. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so for, okay. Here's what I think on the um, movement right now. Mm -hmm. So I've heard about this thing and it was George Floyd's death was the tipping point. Mm -hmm. And then the black, uh, the black matter, black lives matter movement really started. Yeah. But I think like all the events that led up to that were super important too. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to clarify, like George Floyd's death was extremely important, but it wasn't the only cause for this. Right. And um, I think for being a person of color during this 
and for being a teenager um it's important like again like getting my own voice and like having like what i believe in and i think it's important for me to again educate people of being like um on both like black and white sides yeah Yeah. and um i just think that um it's important if you're like basically if you're just alive during this time right now i think it's super important for you to um um pay attention and it's like again super important like what's happening now because this is going to be in history books in like 100 years or something yeah so yeah i just think that like regardless of what your skin color is you should be paying attention right paying attention uh and you know active in this mm-hmm. right i think do you do you feel like uh the kids that you know are are paying attention and are active in the process right now definitely yeah a few of my friends have gone to the protests um i'm not allowed to because i'm you know deficient mm-hmm. so can't go to any protests but i've been like sending um petitions and raising awareness on it on my social media I want to pause here for just a moment because this is an important point to make when it comes to activism. Ava mentions that she is immunodeficient and is not able to attend protests in person due to her vulnerability to COVID-19. Too often, activism and the expectations around how to participate and who gets to participate in activist spaces are ableist. There is too often a false assumption that the most valuable work in these spaces is the most visible work. Those who attend protests and marches, those whose voices are loudest and most publicly heard, when the truth is that without the work of disability justice communities, much of the activist networks we recognize today would not exist. Like Ava describes, there are so many ways to participate in the movement, and all of them are vitally important. I'm going to link a Google Doc titled Resistance for Disabled, Chronically Ill, and Immune-Compromised Folks from YouTuber, artist, activist Annie Sagara in the episode description as well. It's a great resource, and uh, I also recommend giving Annie a follow on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. One of the things that we talked about is, like, not only are you in this really unique position as uh, a, a biracial teenager and also, like, somebody who... You know, you've grown up in this community that was really, really close to, uh, like, pretty much in it at the time of Michael Brown and mm-hmm. Ferguson. And, you know, to think, like, one of those really, you talked about, like, some big moments that have led us to this tipping point. Um, mm-hmm. And one of those, undeniably, is Michael Brown and mm-hmm. Ferguson. Do you, and you were right there, like, that's basically, you know, next door your backyard yeah. like that's close for you yeah. <laughs> yeah so do you so how old would you that was six years ago you would have been how old nine nine do you have a memory of that time um I just remember um because I wasn't really aware of what was happening at the time mm-hmm. I just remember our school got closed down because they were um, concerned about the riots that were happening okay um my mom talked to me about it it was she told me like the situation but 
um, before this podcast, she came in my room and she was like, I just didn't want to tell you everything because you were a little kid at the time and I didn't want you to be scared. Right. But that was like my first um, encounter with like the police and being a person of color and how careful I have to be. Yeah. Because um, from their eyes, I'm black, basically. Right. And I'm a threat. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is like such an interesting part of your story, Eva, because you, you you're talking. Oh, I bumped my microphone. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you're talking. I got really excited. Okay. You're yeah. talking about um, like in really like thoughtful ways. You're talking about like going in between these two worlds. Right. And like you're black and you're in a white family and like you, you have this responsibility to both. But that's you know, that's your like your own identity and your own process. Mm -hmm. But now you're talking about like how the world views you, which mm -hmm. is also part of this process that's really important for you because in real ways, this could have an impact on your life. And mm -hmm. and so an, an, an issue like police violence against people of color, that impacts you directly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so it means something more, like the stakes are really high. Mm -hmm. and, and definitely they're not as high as um like fully black people mm -hmm. but like on a scale um from being like most oppressed least oppressed mm -hmm. being in the middle but still like um the black community is grouped together yep basically yeah like threat and then white people are just not threat right have you ever oh, felt oh. like in your actual like your lived experience in your life have you ever felt um any of that like oppression in a in a real way um um not really but i have been like taught that um if i do anything like illegal which i want um and i'm I've, <laughs> i'm with my white friends then i'll get a worse punishment mm -hmm. like let's say um i don't know we like set something on fire or something we caught then I'll get like 20 years of prison. They'll get like five years. Right. So I just think that, um, that like, because I'm, um, a person of color, I'm still like grouped with the black community. Yep. Black community then seen as a threat, more years of jail time, whatever, mm -hmm. or like a worse punishment. Mm -hmm. And then my white friends would not get a harsher punishment. Yeah. I think it's just like super dangerous and like it's horrible that any person of color has to be careful. Like right. not, like we have to be more careful than white people. Yeah. In really like the, the real ways, right? Like this isn't something mm -hmm. that is just like an afterthought for you. Like this is something that has to be pretty actively on your mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you, do you think living where you do, so you have this really recent history of um like racially motivated uh riots and you know this like real like enhanced sort of police uh violence issue that's been in your communities do you think that um any of that has has sort of impacted you or the people that you're around um differently than maybe the rest of us that sort of watch that from the outside um yeah, I think that um, 
since we're like in like one of like the more central not central but like one of like the more extreme areas i guess Mm -hmm. i think that um it's like we're seeing this for ourselves Mm -hmm. like what's happening and like we're actually since we're experiencing it um we are we have to accept the fact that there's white privilege and it exists there's light privilege and it exists and there's no like privilege for um darker skinned people and um we're just now all basically learning it because like in 2014 like that's when it started to be like oh i have to start being careful right and then we all had to accept the fact that there was privilege it exists and there's like no excuse for it right interesting and also it's not your fault if you're lighter skinned like you can't help that but just like being aware of it is super important. Yeah. Isn't that, that's such a funny thing about the privilege conversation is like people, people take it really personally and get like really defensive. But do you find that too? Yeah. Yeah. Like not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's not your fault. And also you didn't earn it. So like either way, like you can't like be faulted for it. Also, you can't, be credited for it. Like you didn't do anything. So, yeah. but what you can do is like acknowledge it, understand it, and then work from it. Right. Like that's what mm-hmm. I always teach too, is like, you have to, to know it's there. You have to acknowledge it. And then you decide how you work from it. If you have privilege, how you use it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. The way that you described that. Um, it's not your fault. It's okay. Don't get mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so funny. So I'm wondering about, so I want to go back to the Michael Brown thing a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. is that something you learned about in school? Do you talk about that at all? We haven't learned anything about it. You're kidding me. How can that be? Yeah. In seventh grade, um, I remember I was getting picked up from middle school and we were like listening to the radio and we heard about Michael Brown, but like, I forgot about what happened because we weren't educated about it. Right. So um, the police officer, I forgot what his name was, he wasn't found guilty. Right. And we heard like an uproar about it. And I was like, wait, what happened? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. That's. And I think it's awful. Right. Because like we were where it was basically. Yeah. I can't understand how you would be an educator and not be talking about that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Like I really mm-hmm. just assumed that you would have this like kind of like insider view of like well, when we were here and this was happening, here are all the things we learned about, like, what a riot is, why people are protesting, what mm-hmm. what police brutality is, right? Like, nothing. Nothing. Okay. Uh, let's go on record. That's a missed opportunity. And yeah. um, one of the things I really want, like, to come out of this is for grownups and teachers and educators and just like, you know, all the people that whose responsibility it is to talk about this stuff with kids, just Mm -hmm. do it. Like this is the time, learn the language, know how to talk about it. Don't be afraid of it. And like, because the, the lessons that come from it are so important. And the more that we ignore them, this is why it continues to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so growing up with like an all-white family um i'm pretty sure it gave me some privilege Mm -hmm. because it was like oh she's with white people right like she's okay right but if i was with a black family then 
we would all be seen as threats. Right. So I just think that I have privilege, um, I guess, being in an environment where people just can't harm me because of my skin tone, like as, yeah. as they could um, if I was with a black family. Right. Right. Uh, there's a certain like l- layer of protection in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, I just keep thinking, like, do you ever have moments and we can use this or not or cut it or not, but, but just, mm-hmm. I'm curious, do you ever have moments in your own home where you feel like, uh, like an outsider? Definitely. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I just think that, again, like, I haven't really been taught about Black culture. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, whenever we go to, like, reunions or whatever, I'm always the, the outsider, and it just seems like um, I, I don't have a connection with everyone else, like, right. a stronger connection. Yeah. Um, because nobody else looks like me. Right. I just think, like, my appearance determines my connection between them. Oof. Your appearance determines your connection between them. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful um, mm-hmm. and so real. And and I, I think it's so important for us to put value to that because, you know, you're, you kind of lead with, like, well, I'm, I'm more privileged and I'm protected in my family and all of those things. But your experience of being on the outside of your family – is also really valuable and important to who you are. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, that's that's also a really... Do you, do you talk to your family about that? No, because I just don't want to guilt trip them, even though it's not their fault again. Right. But um, I just kind of wish that I had more influence. Mm-hmm. But maybe I can influence them. Like, that's, like, my thinking. Right, right. Like, since I didn't get it, I can still give it. right. Yeah, uh, that's a really like mature way to be thinking about that. Again, it puts so much responsibility on you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and but but it sounds like it's something that's important for you, and so um, it sounds like you're kind of prioritizing that. Do you? Um, it also makes me think of this keeps coming up with um, with with people I know right now too. Thinking like mm-hmm. using this terminology that like I don't see color, or like. Right. Do you have a yeah. response to that? Um, well, with my ethical society, we were just talking about this yesterday okay. or two days ago. Um, so um, they used it as like a, it could have like two meanings. Like mm-hmm. I don't see color. It could be like um, if you're, if you're black, I don't see you. Right. If you're mixed, I don't see your black side. Yeah. Um, or I don't see your Asian side. I don't see your Middle East side. Right. Um, but it could also be used as I don't see color as in I see everyone equally. So I, I've personally never used the term and I've just heard about it yesterday, but, um, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't say it because it could just be perceived in, um, multiple ways Yeah, that could be hurtful, I guess. Yeah. Or helpful. But. Yeah. I think there are plenty of people that say it and try to be well-meaning, um, mm-hmm. But I think it's a really important time for all of us to say that, like, y- using that, even if you're if you think you're being uh, like equitable by saying that um, it's it's just impossible. Right. Like mm-hmm. we we do see each other's differences. We have to. Right. Like that's part of like why we need to like talk about identity and and why like 
we need to acknowledge that like, yes, you, uh, of course, like those of us who practice like not being racist, right? Of course, we don't look at someone uh, as a white person. I don't look at somebody who's black and think that they are less than because they're, they look different. Right. But Mm -hmm. that's just my perspective. The, the bigger picture is like, yes, we're still seeing like violence against black and brown bodies at like much higher rates and Mm -hmm. incarceration and, and like education, all of those things that, that there are real inequities that are related to race. So it's not a helpful thing right now to say, well, I just don't see color because not seeing the difference is like just ignoring what all of these other big like social factors have to do with it too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's insulting. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't see your color, but wait, like yeah. that's, that's who you are. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like you're um, just ignoring someone's identity again. Right. Yeah. And we've done enough of that. We don't need to keep doing that. Yeah. Okay, we're saying it right here, right now. We're done with that. Yeah. We're not doing it anymore. Okay. Um, is there anything else that we want to check in about? I think that's it. Ava, you did so good. Thank you so much. Are you, this was so much fun. Was it fun? Yeah. One of the things I love about this episode is that as we talk about the complexities of Ava's biracial identity, you'll often hear her reference finding her voice. And it's like you can hear and feel her processing through some really big things as we talk. She's modeling for all of us how to be present in this act of finding and using our voices. And I think it's such an important reminder for all of us right now. Now's the time to find your voice and use your voice. It doesn't have to be perfect and it will always be in process doesn't matter how old you are or if you've never spoken up before your voice is important who you are is important and like Ava keeps reminding us being true to who you are being true to your voice is how we move toward change thank you for being here today Uh, thanks to Mark Ward for lending his musical talents to the podcast you can hear more from him at markwardmusic.com check the episode description for resources and links Head to our Instagram page at Mary Ward the Fenacci for updates on the podcast and all the other things. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to support our mission here at Tiny Reminders. And uh, keep up the good work. I appreciate you all. Thanks for being here. <laughs>